0: This episode is brought to you by Kiva, a Greenhorns partner and nonprofit that has helped hundreds of farmers raise over $2 million in microloans, all without charging any interest or fees. Find out more at us.kiva.org Greenhorns. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Hello, Greenhorns. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers. Today, happy, happy, we just installed our exhibit at the Better Day Coffee Store in Santa Fe and I'm joined on the radio show by Becky Brand, co-owner of Brandmore Farm in Rollinsford, New Hampshire. Hello, Becky. Welcome to the show. Introduce
1: yourself. Hi, Severn. Um nice to, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Becky Brand, like you said. Um, I am co-owner of Branmore Farm in Rollinsford, New Hampshire, and um, we've been farming there since 2012, um, so we just finished up our fifth season um, of veggie farming, and we also have a dairy um, that's a majority of what our farm does, so we are uh, we're, we, we're pretty happy to be here. We love, we love where we farm, and, uh, and that's, that's my intro.
0: Can we talk about Rollinsford, New Hampshire, and what's going on there? Sure. Um, Rollinsford, New Hampshire, is on the
1: seacoast of New Hampshire, so we're about um, half an hour from Portsmouth, um, which is right on the right on the ocean. Um, the seacoast is a pretty um, <clears throat> it's a pretty uh, active area as far as the local food scene. We have lots of farmers markets um, throughout the summer. And then we have very active winter markets as well. Um, Seacoast Seat Local is is an organization in the area who have started a winter farmers market in both Rollinsford and um, Exeter, New Hampshire. And um, and they, I think we're going into our, I think it's about our sixth, sixth or seventh year. Um, actually, it's it's going to be our fifth season this year. So I think it might be going on their 10th year of um, the winter markets this year. And they're just very vibrant markets. Um, The whole seacoast is super supportive of local agriculture and and young farmers. So we're really happy to be here.
0: And let's talk about the farm you're farming because there's a famous movie made about that farm. And um and now you guys are there that's right yes um
1: so originally the farm is uh brookford farm and it's been called brookford farm for for a long time um our landlady's father had purchased this farm in i think the 20s and um was originally called brookford um five years before we started um a couple luke and katarina had had farmed here um they were coming from Germany and, I think, Russia before that. And so they, they were here for about five years. And um, my husband uh, worked for them for a couple of years as kind of their assistant, I guess, with their, with their livestock. Um, so he formed a relationship with the woman who owns the land and um, was approached about possibly taking the lease over after Brookford Farm moved to Canterbury. So um, at that point, Phil, my husband Phil, uh, applied for a farm loan to, to get the capital to start our farm. And the, the film is, is really amazing. It's a, it's a really beautiful
0: and well-done well, well done film. Well, and it's a very beautiful landscape right up against that river. It and really so there is. There was um, quite a lot of mud when I was
1: there. <laughs> yeah, we, have, we do have quite a lot of mud, and, and now soil. depending on depending on the time of year as well. So um, we have a lot less animals compared to how, how many were there at the time of the film, um, so it's a little bit less muddy now. Um, so the land itself <clears throat> runs about a mile just more or less a mile along the Salmon Falls River, which is um, a river that divides New Hampshire and Maine. So when we look across the river, we're looking over at South Berwick, Maine, and um, my landlady, Robin Aikman, she had put all of the land on this side into conservation land. Um, She's very passionate about that, and thankfully, she was able to put it in conservation easement, um, and for far- to save it for farming for for the future generations. And it's a really beautiful property. It's it sort of stands out as far as the amount of open land that's contiguous along the river, and also just that it's really hilly and it has kind of rolling pastures, and it, that that kind of stands out as far as this area for. Um, So
0: one of the big conversations um, in New Hampshire and in Maine has been looking at these regions, once again, as food-growing regions and being really discerning about where the food growing. In the 19th century, they just cut down lots of trees and grew anywhere. Um, But a lot of the conversation is about being discerning about land use planning and strategic conservation and farming the best parts of the land. and. It feels like your river valley there is pretty primo chocolate gold for New Hampshire. It really is. Um, as far as how much land
1: we're renting, um, I think I think the whole property is about 400 acres, and half of it is forested. And we don't really rent the forested part, but we do rent about 220 acres of open land. And... Um, so about 200 of that we use for pasture and or hayland. Um, and it's, it's really amazing. I mean, some of it is a little steep for us to get on, but we're able to hay, um, hay most of it. And it's, there aren't very many rocks sticking out. We also have about a six or eight acre vegetable patch. And um, it's absolutely perfectly flat. Uh, beautiful Windsor loam soil. Um, there isn't a rock to be found, and uh, you know it, it, it's kind of sandy, so it does dry out quickly. But we're um, very fortunate to be there, and everybody who sees it is like, "Wow, you guys, <laughs> you guys are pretty lucky." <laughs> so we're we've got it. We've got it pretty good.
0: <laughs> so I'd say you got it pretty good. It's very beautiful land. Your marketplace. There is incredible. I went to that winter farmer's market, and on a rainy, cold day, it was totally bumping and a line behind every table. Mm -hmm. Um, New Hampshire obviously has a lot of people living in it, and a lot of them are independent-minded, and many there's a lot of homeschool and raw milk and libertarians, Mm -hmm. and all that goes along with local food. Um, So what do you feel like needs talking about from where you sit in the world? What do you feel... Um, What do you want to say from your position there next to that beautiful river to the the other young agrarians listening?
1: Sure. Um, Well, I guess as far as, you know, the raw milk goes, we've been pretty lucky because we are in New Hampshire and it does allow um, small dairies to get started and you're able to sell raw milk because we're legally allowed to sell it from our farm and also at the farmers market and if you're selling less than 20 gallons on average a day, you actually don't even need an inspection. And we, we get an inspection um, so that we're able to not be limited by that um, 20 gallons a day. But um, but it is a really great place to think about starting a small dairy. Um, this, one of the issues for us is since we are right on the border with Maine, we're not really able to sell the raw milk across the border, and it also um, is depending on what the local health inspector says for that for each specific market. They're they're able to say whether they want raw milk or not at that market, and so. Um, we are limited in what markets we're we're able to do occasionally, um, and I think that finding a a good situation is definitely out there. As far as finding a a lease a lease of a of land or um, a rental, I think there are people out there looking to um, have people grow on their on their property. So I think. I think there are some opportunities out there for for young people who want to get into it.
0: Well, one of the conversations I keep having when I try to hustle Organic Valley and hustle the dairy sector and, and Stonyfield Foundation people, I'm like, hey, don't you need more young dairy farmers and, you know, how's your liquid milk and all these things? And they say, yeah, you know, we see all the young new blood that's coming into the field, not all, but a lot, going into making their own, bottling their own, selling their own, cheesing mm-hmm. and buttering and yogurting their own. Um, can you reflect on the kind of economics and practical considerations uh, running a scale dairy that you're that you're at, which is kind of the, defined by the barn size um, of sure. your place and the considerations that you. Are making as far as where you sell your milk?
1: Sure. Um, well, for us, we we have an ideal amount of cows that we we want to milk each day, um, which is about twenty to twenty five. Um, and I guess I guess getting much bigger than that, we would kind of we wouldn't really have a place to move it as far as bottled milk. And when we've thought about doing bulk sales, it's just that the, the price that you get in return isn't, um, it's it's more limited and it isn't controlled by by you. So you sort of take away some of the, the um, I don't know how to say this eloquently, but um, you kind of are, are out of control at that point, and you're more susceptible to whatever price is set for milk and even organic milk. But I do think that people are able to to make, um, make more doing organic, for sure. But uh, this year in New Hampshire, 19 dairies closed um, out of the total, which is 120. And I think sometimes if you're selling bulk milk, the temptation would be just to keep growing and getting bigger and having more cows. Um, And with us, since we're able to sell all of our milk from the farm, um, we're more looking at somewhat about what we want our day-to-day to to look like and also um, working directly with our customers just because that's what we enjoy doing.
0: What's next for you guys in your operation? I saw something about processing. Um, and I remember, yeah, yeah, we making quark and all sorts of things and kind of like pretty um, East Germany type uh, setup. And she was rock running.
1: Um, that the previous people were.
0: Yeah, she did not have very good infrastructure. Is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. Um, so we. We launched a Kickstarter campaign to to raise money to renovate the the yogurt and cheese room on the farm, which is a very it's a small room. It's about uh, uh, about like 16 by 8 foot room, um, which is it's, it's petite. Um, but basically, it was two small rooms before, and so with the Kickstarter, we we're raising money to take down the wall in between the rooms to make it to make it a little bit bigger. Um, we were looking to to put the RFP on the walls so that it's a more sanitary environment. We were looking to pour a new concrete floor and put in a window for some natural light and just make it a little bit of a better environment for working and um, having people be in there for longer periods of time. Um, and also, we we got a cheese vat, or a pasteurizing vat, so that we'll be able to kind of make bigger quantities of yogurt at one time um, and diversify our our products so that we're able to do different dairy products in the future. So, so we're pretty excited. And we actually reached our Kickstarter goal um, In the first, I think it was the first 30 days, so we were really excited. It ends this Saturday, and we're just really grateful to everybody who supports us and um, happy that we can do what we're doing.
0: Well, I have to say what I noticed about your farm is that you're really good at your marketing and you're really good at your social media and beyond just the food part. It seems like you're managing your social relations in such a way that you're going to have a successful Kickstarter.
1: Um,
0: maybe you have a little tips about why you think it went well. or
1: Oh, thanks. Um,
0: or what you would do better, whatever.
1: Sure. Well, we actually had a woman come to us last summer who um, was looking for a summer internship, and she's a photographer and film um, producer. So she was looking to... Work on a farm and do something in the local food movement. Um, and she, she just emailed us. She was a senior in, at Bates College, and so she spent the entire summer with us last year. And we were thinking about doing a Kickstarter. And we just, I was just nervous. We couldn't get it together. I, there's something about the the idea of, of asking for money and putting yourself out there in that way. Um, that was nerve wracking. So we actually didn't end up doing it while she was interning. She just ended up helping us out with our with our social media and kind of getting a lot of photos together. And she she did a lot. She helped us out a lot with our with our marketing and online presence. Um, and then the the winter went by, and we decided we were going to try to launch the Kickstarter this fall. So she worked with us again this year. And put the video together. It um, really, really helped us out. And I guess from <clears throat> lately, I've been doing our Facebook. And we, so we do, we do Facebook. We do Instagram. Um, she, she got us started with Twitter, but I haven't been keeping up on that so much. <laughs> but um, basically, I don't know. I, I guess photos and just kind of getting back to people if they message you is always good for relations. And um, I think people are very into seeing video and photos of your farm and makes, makes people feel connected who otherwise um, maybe wouldn't be able to see the farm that
0: day. Well, and in the same way as every farm needs to have their plumber and their person who does excavating and the person that they know has um, other equipment that they don't have or electrician, it's feeling like in this little day and age, if we're trying to mobilize capital from people who spend a lot of time in front of a screen, that that marketing intern or sidekick or um, kind of Peter Pan person in your life can be a real critical element in keeping your cash flow flowing. definitely. Yeah, definitely.
1: I think um, um, that that's definitely important and it's just as important as all the other, as all the other aspects of the farm in, in a lot of ways. Um, and sometimes people just come come into your life at <laughs> the right moments as well. So it definitely is helpful.
0: you want to tell a story about what went wrong, since it's all so cheery and perfect so far? (laughs) Um, Sure. I guess, um,
1: I mean, the the first few years were extremely, extremely hard. I mean, um, we've made some changes just because of how challenging they were. I mean, there's no joking that it was... um, you know, it is beautiful and we're very fortunate to be here, but the first, you know, it's been a huge <clears throat> learning experience for us and there have been some, a lot of challenges along the way. Um, just basically figuring out all of our systems and how things work and when we got here we got a new bulk tank um, to replace the 1,000 gallon one that was here. We got a 250 gallon bulk tank. and um, we couldn't really use it for a while, so we were we had we were just hand milking four cows and cooling the milk as quickly as possible and bottling it from there. And um, it wasn't like it wasn't a high point for for us. I mean, it was it was just really hard to to be um, just starting out and just feeling strained in every. Every way, with all of our energy going into it, basically from first thing in the morning until like nine o'clock at night, and it was just—it was just pretty hard. I mean, financially and physically and emotionally, just just really draining. But um, I feel like now we've kind of got some of our systems in place, so we are able to have help. And once you have help, then it somewhat takes some of the pressure off of you, and um, and you're able to kind of have some breathing room in some in some ways. But um, but yeah, at the end of the day, everything else comes comes down on on you. And um, on holidays, when the cows get out, or in the middle of the night, when like there's a cow walking down the highway, <laughs> it's you're gonna be the one that's getting out of bed to to deal with that. <laughs> so it's um it's just it's like everything that has its really really great parts and and hard parts also just like a lot of things in
0: life. a big day for the country, so we're all feeling a similar kind of feeling about how's it going to go? What's going to happen? At least you're a little bit maybe more in control than some of us feel about the greater state of affairs. Uh, (laughs) I guess that's not a very funny joke. (laughs) Um, I wanted to make a couple of announcements and I want to encourage you, if you have any to make, to think of them while I make mine, uh, including internships or jobs or needs or thoughts or in- inspirational resources. Um, I am announcing, I'm announcing something, which is two things. Number one thing is very soon New Farmers Almanac hits the shelves, and uh, Laura and Inez and Bonnie and myself are the mobilization team to get that wonderful publication that we've been working on out, 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 and my goal and hope is that all of these wonderful listeners will do us the favor of buying not only one but a little few and distribute them through your farm stand um, or let us know about a coffee shop or a feed store or some other kind of a place where people who care about literature and literary offerings made by working farmers um, could be distributed. I think there's there's definitely 80, I think there's 84 essays and then there's a lot of poems, um, and then a lot of illustrations and a lot of little history snippets. And the theme is commons. And the other thing I wanted to make announcement of is probably you've all heard me ad nauseum if you're on any of the Green, Greenhorns or Agrarian Trust mailing lists, on and on about the Our Land symposium that we're doing next week in New Mexico to celebrate the Asequia Commons, this ancient 400 years here and older. Um, in North Africa and in Spain, Ditch Irrigation System, which has so many really great lessons about resource management, and that Hourland two Symposium will also be available as a podcast, distributed through podcasts, and we hope you will tune in later and keep your um, anticipation hot. Okay, woman, your turn. Um, okay. Well, I just wanted to say thank you so much for having us on, and, um,
1: and we'll, we're going to be looking for someone to help us make cheese, possibly, in the future. So <laughs> I don't know what that would open it up to, but um, we're definitely learning ourselves, so if anybody has any tidbits, that'd be, that'd be great. And I hope, that, um, I hope to meet many of you in the future.
0: Thank you, everybody, for listening, and thank you to Brandmore Farm, making it look so easy. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Kiva. (laughs) Bye-bye. Still, my love for you grows.